Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. As the country begins to reopen after a year of lockdown, I'm wondering if there are new words or phrases that we can use to talk about the feelings we're all experiencing. So we have invited our favorite language experts, the brother and sister team of Catherine and Ross Petras, back to our show. Their most recent book is Awkward, spelled A. W-K-W-O-R-D, Awkward Moments, A Lively Guide to the 100 Terms Smart People Should Know. And like their other books uh, on, on language, that one, uh, that doesn't mean what you think it means, and the other, you're saying it wrong. It's published by 10 Speed Press. They also have a podcast called You're Saying It Wrong. So if you have a question about a word usage or pronunciation for Kathy and Ross, you can give us a call at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Hi, Kathy and Ross. Welcome back to our show. Hi, Leonard. Hi, Leonard. It's always great to have you. Last year at this time, the talk was about quarantine pods, super spreader events, contactless delivery, and Zoom fatigue. Are we seeing new catchphrases regarding the reopening of of businesses and schools? Oh, mask, right. Are we seeing new ones now because of the reopening of businesses and schools? It's interesting. I think people are still very quiet. Because we, mm-hmm. Kathy and I have been talking about this. We're not hearing that many new words. We're hearing double vaxxed, vaccine passport, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But nothing amazingly creative is jumping out. Although, I got to say, there is an article in the Times, I think it was like last week, I think it was. And I love it. It's not a new term, but I think this is fabulous. And I want to see more people using it. Collective effervescence. Is that Ooh. lovely? It's a term that a French sociologist coined in the 20th century, and it was supposed to be the sense of energy and harmony people feel when they come together in a group. And I don't know about you guys, but I've started socializing again, and I felt collectively effervescent. <laughs> you did, too. I felt fizzy. Yeah. Very fizzy. Some people are, are blaming this. the first time. <laughs> Some people are blaming the social media for some of the problems, although the word media is plural. Even the New York Times has written recently the social media is. Has that changed? Are you talking about the collective noun as is? Yes. Well, is so is the social media is correct? Because uh, I would think it was still the social media are. Are. There's a big, there's a debate back and forth among usage experts and usage pedants and usage nuts about that. Um, Basically, it's really a collective noun at this point. And a collective noun is a whole bunch of little things jumbled together, and then you can say them as a singular as well. So I don't really, I wouldn't really regard that as incorrect, although technically, for example, I would say I would never say medium, which is the single the singular of media. Mm-hmm. I would never normally use that. So I think you can. What do you think, Kathy? I, I've got to say I agree. I know technically it's incorrect, or is it at this point? I actually I, this is something I actually haven't followed. I'm assuming just given the the, the wide usage of it that it, it's pretty much socially accepted. If it even if it's non-standard in quotes, which is lexicographical speak for not technically correct, I suspect that it's it is pretty much correct at this point. I so I should stop so yelling so. back at my TV. You can. You can relax now, Leonard. <laughs> All is well. Socially effervesce. <laughs> 
Well, here in New York State, we have the Excelsior Pass, which is a type of vaccine pass. Although there's a, I just looked up online, there's a, a grammarian screaming about the, yeah, the uh, singular use, a singular noun, a verb with uh, oh. media. So oh, I good. guess if you want to avoid screaming, maybe you should stick mm -hmm. to the other. Well, let's get back to Excelsior Pass. I know Excelsior is the New York State motto, but, but when I, don't I looked think you it need up, to. most grammarians think it doesn't matter. Which is a myth. The Excelsior Pass, because oh, Excelsior is yeah. a state motto, isn't it? Yeah, but when I looked it up, one definition of Excelsior was fine wood shavings used for packing, etc. And another was that it, it was the name for tiny three-point type. So how I love the tiny three-point type I'd never heard of. Yes, that's the type. Uh, well, it's very small. Uh, I guess it's the stuff that they, uh, that they put all of those little... Um, warnings in when you're buying something a drug or whatever anyway yeah, Excelsior how does how did wood chips wind up being uh, <laughs> um, the motto of New York State because it sounds I guess it sounds like great Excelsior excelling yeah well I'm trying to think what does Excelsior mean by itself I mean I know it's because I'm just I, wood I shavings excuse me Wood shavings, fine wood shavings. I know that. Thank you, Leonard. <laughs> what I'm saying, isn't it? It's a I blame all. I blame it all on Governor Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> we can start a fight here, huh? <laughs> I'm just looking at. I'm checking quickly my yeah. my handy dandy OED and seeing what we can learn. Okay, it was a comparative of excelsis, meaning high. Ah, so the Latin motto, it means higher, which you might get from snorting excelsior shavings. Uh, oh, my. Well, this the language is so weird, isn't it? I mean, uh, every time I'm, I'm on a train, I think, I'm on a train, so why do athletes train? And why do people rail against the rails? <laughs> I can go on and on. Uh, we do have an odd language. Is this unique to English? No, actually, most um, most languages have their oddities. The one thing I mean, English has that's a little different than the others is that we began as a very hybrid language. On one hand, we had the Normans. On the other hand, we had the Anglo-Saxons. So we started with with not a pure, in quotes, language. We started as an amalgam. And as time goes by, what with um, so much immigration and so forth, we've added, we have what are called loan words, which are words from other countries that have become part of our language. So it is a very... Um, it starts out, it's a little more complicated in most languages. We're not, we don't have that same smooth evolution. We have a lot of stuff coming in from everywhere. We're like mongrels. Our language is a very mongrel yeah. language. German and French and Latin, of course. Yeah. We have it all in Spanish as well. Uh, everything. We have so much. I mean, mm -hmm. it began with mainly the German and the French and then the old English, and now it's become so much more. In fact, I was reading an article uh, in the, I think it was on NPR the other day, about how dictionary.com has added, um, I think, 100, 300 new words. And the interesting thing that a lot of them now are coming from what's called African-American vernacular English. That's mm. become a huge impact on regular English. So we have all these little dialects as well. Southern American English, Black English are, 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 
are like sort of separate dialects within the whole umbrella of English, and we all borrow from one another. So it's a very it's an exciting changing language all the time, but it's very confusing. Well, I get even more confused when I hear news reports. Recently, I heard a news report in which the person said exacerb exasperate instead of exacerbate. Oh, <laughs> and another person said respite instead of respite. So uh, I guess the people are just reading uh, words that they don't necessarily know, and uh, and uh, people like me are getting upset. Yeah, and me too. And Ross too. Ross is actually having audio problems, which is why you're only hearing me blabbing. I'm not mm. cutting him off. I just want you to know that. Okay. No, it's true. I think what well, that's called. What is it? There's a word for that. A spelling pronunciation. Oh, it. And it's when yeah. you hear something. I think I heard Ross. <laughs> it's I, spelling pronunciation is when you read the word and you pronounce it as it as it's spelled or as you think it should be pronounced based on the spelling, and it's wrong. And I mean, I've yeah. I've been guilty of it myself. In fact, one of the first interviews we did for our first word book, I was looking at my notes and I saw the word metathesis, which is a linguistic term. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just pronounced it as I read it that moment. I said, metathesis. And you cannot <laughs> imagine how many emails we got saying, you wrote a language yeah. book and you're pronouncing it like that? <laughs> yeah, well, you're held to a higher standard. Yeah, right it's, now, it's the <laughs> it's panic. You are too, Leonard. You have the same. <laughs> you have the same burden. <laughs> right now, the, the big. You are you back? I've, I've lost sound with the letter. I think he's trying to do something in the background. I don't see you. Ross, we can hear you now. Uh huh. I don't think he can hear us. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, right now the big concern is the Delta variant of, of COVID nineteen. How did the Greek alphabet, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, etc., come to be used in this way to talk about different versions of of uh, the the virus? Is it a way of deflecting blame from the countries of origin? Oddly enough, you're absolutely right. They didn't want like the the return of the China <laughs> well. So um, they join audio. World Health Organization decided that Sam it would be less stigmatized if you, um, if it by by doing the variants as just a letter. But mm. it, it, I read one article and I thought they actually typed summed it up well when they said it's limited success because newscasters still say like the Delta variant originated in India. They don't just say yes. Delta variant. So it, it's kind. Of, I mean, it was a nice. It was a noble thought, I guess. <laughs> Speaking and vaccines which, have, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, what interests me, you were saying before, like what words we, we know have started being used now that we're opening up more. The thing that Ross and I have been talking about a lot is how many words you're not hearing anymore. Like variant now you hear all the time. We didn't mm. hear that initially. But remember at the beginning of COVID, you called it coronavirus more often than COVID. Yes. You um, talked about granular thing, the things at a granular level, contact tracing. These were like so big at the moment, and now like you don't hear them at all anymore. The vaccines have opened a whole new vocabulary. We currently have two different types of vaccines: the mRNA, Pfizer and Moderna, and the viral vector vaccines. Now try saying that three times fast, like the, the Johnson and Johnson. Do you think the alliteration attempt? Uh, uh, is, a, is a way to make the vaccine sound stronger? Viral vector vaccines. I, I, especially when you, when you say it with that like, zest. I 
actually think you're right. I hadn't thought of that, but it is. It's sort of like the old the old Madison Avenue days, you know, with uh, naming a detergent or something. And I do think the V's, I mean, like are big, like like there's something about them that sort of come a viral vector just sounds very scientific and tough, doesn't yes. it? Yes. Uh, the uh, aim of the vaccine vaccination program is herd immunity. Uh, now, herd always struck me as being something that had to do with uh, other animals, not humans. When did it come to be used for human populations? Um, I'm not sure where it started. I've got to look that up, actually. It's one of those things that I don't have at the top of my head. But the, the implication, obviously, is that like a herd, you know, the, the, mm. the, the masses. So when I don't I don't I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I'm sorry. That's one where um, I'm just seeing when was herd immunity, though, first used. Mm. I used to know these. See, now this is the sort of thing that I had top of my head a long time ago. OK. Herd instinct was first used in 1908. Uh, the herd meaning the multitude, uh, the re- common rabble, uh, Shakespeare in 1616. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a new thing. Herd immunity as itself is a more new thing. That started it. Oh, no, I'm wrong. Herd immunity began uh, in the earliest use in, within a herd of cattle, and it was used back in 1917. Yeah. And then well, it was that's used what I thought relating to humans in 1927 so it's it's even though it seems very modern it's not that modern i mean it's 20th I've century also, no i've also seen community immunity which is a bit of a mouthful There's, i guess everybody's getting a little creative don't you think <laughs> well why not we've been stuck with this whole virus we might as well at least try to like get something out of it new words my guest, uh, right now I only have one guest, but that's okay because she's great, is Catherine Petrus. We hope that Ross, her brother, will be back. They are the uh, co-authors of a number of books on language. And uh, when they are here, we also invite your calls. Our number is 212-209-2877. That's 212 77. If you want to talk about language, you don't have to talk about the things we're discussing. If you have a language question, I would be, uh, I, I think whatever the language question is, it would be totally appropriate to this kind of conversation. In fact, we're going to, in a little while, we're going to move off of what we were talking about. But uh, I want to stick with a few more. Another interesting phrase I've seen with regard to uh, reopening is respiratory etiquette. That's just a fancy way of saying cover your mouth and nose when yeah, you cough really. and sneeze. It's, it's like in the old days. Remember you used to say when you were a kid, say it, don't spray it? I think that's kind <laughs> of <laughs> They should bring that back, don't you think? Yeah, really. I'm sure people are thinking it. The other day we had our first party since since COVID. So it was a, it was a strange thing. And one woman who was talking was a little uh, spitty and I was panicked. <laughs> I really did. Mm-hmm. Even though we were all vaccinated, we, we knew that. But still, I had that like, you know, bodily fluids get away from me. But it's an interesting time. The thing that gets me is speaking of things that have stayed on is how we keep using jabs still. I mean, jabs started, you know, mainly with the whole thing with the vaccine. But now I heard someone the other day in the drugstore saying, when are the flu jabs coming in to the pharmacist? So I think that's one that's going to stick with us from here on in, unlike other words that, that entered and have left already. So jab instead of injection. Yeah, I think jab has become like a thing now. It's, it also sounds a little more jaunty than shot or injection, don't you think? 
Yeah, but then we have that complicating, another one of those words that means two things, because the person who would be jabbing you is the jabber, but then you might be jabbering afterward. It's true. <laughs> and now I'm thinking of jabberwocky as well. Yes. <laughs> another area of debate is how the COVID-19 virus came to be a pandemic. And the prevailing theory among scientists is, now I'm probably going to mispronounce this, zoonotic spillover. Very good. You did it very well. Yeah. Those are words that we would never have thought of or heard in the normal course of events, except for having lived through a pandemic. And it, it, that means zoonotic spillover means that it's spread from animals to humans as opposed exactly. to a leak from a laboratory in, in, in China. Right. It's a whole go, who knows at this point. <laughs> Speaking of pandemic, we had recently done an article about um, uh, words to strike from your vocabulary or things that were redundancies that, that many people use, especially in business, that you should try to avoid. And we got a lot of tweets from people saying, oh, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And one that came up several times was global pandemic. A few people mm -hmm. said, Global pandemic, if a pandemic is global, why are they doing this? And we had to say, yeah. ha ha, you're not right. A pandemic doesn't have to be global. It's continental mainly or more than one continent, but it's not necessarily global. So you don't you can say global pandemic legally. But uh, this leads me to something else that you have been uh, dealing with. Um, I mentioned that you have a podcast called You're Saying It Wrong. And on a recent episode, you talked about something you call flapdoodle words. Uh, mm -hmm. that, those are now, we're, now beyond uh, asking you, where does the word flapdoodle come from? Isn't that uh, about redundant speech? Exactly. It's about tautologies, redundancy, and, and just plain old puffy, puffiness. Like when people put a three-syllable word in when one would be uh. much better and often much more correct. I mean, one thing we've noticed a lot in the in the zeal to sound erudite and to impress, a lot of people will say, instead of say simple, they'll say simplistic. Doesn't mean the same thing, you know? No. Or, they'll, or they'll say economical instead of economic. And I think a lot of people have in their heads the more syllables, the smarter. And sadly, they're 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 not making their points at all. They're mm. they're doing the opposite. Uh, getting back just before we get to some of these uh, flapdoodle words, uh, I'm reminded that there's another phrase that uh, we've been dealing with recently: mask mandates. Uh, which are a bone of contention because some people see it as having political connotation. Does a mandate always refer to something that's imposed on us by the government? Um, not necessarily, but mandate, I mean, now, I mean, because of COVID in particular, you are hearing it more as an imposition of the government. A mandate, I mean, you can have like when someone's elected, you talk about a mandate, like, you know, if someone's elected mm -hmm. in a landslide, he has a mandate or she has a yeah. mandate. And that's because it's it's a mass. It's it's really more of a calling in that case. So it, it has various meanings, but they all sort of mean the same thing, which is you can do something. You know, it's there's a, there's an imperative about it, if you will. It's also a word that invites puns, doesn't it? A mandate. She went on a, she went on a mandate. <laughs> I never thought of that. Like a bromance. <laughs> Well, this intrigues me. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I wonder about, because of the similarity of many words, I wonder, well, you, as you pointed out earlier, they come from so many different possible sources. But, yeah, mandate, 
in the case of a government mandate, uh, well, anyway, uh, let's get back to the flapdoodles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> words that are redundant but are commonly used together like 3 a.m. in the morning. You, you don't have to say both a.m. and in the morning because don't they mean the same thing? Exactly. But it's it's a common. The funny thing is, though, with that, we realize. But oddly enough, more often than not, you'll say people will do the 3 a.m. in the morning, but they won't do the 3 p. They won't do the night one, 8 p.m. at night. And we couldn't figure out why is the impulse to 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 over explain the morning one. And we can't figure it out still. (laughs) It's one of those ones. I'm like, I wonder why. Well, maybe because we feel that anything that happens that early is an imposition, so we want to make it clear that uh, we consider it something more serious. Well, five five o'clock or five p.m. We don't have to say five p.m. in the afternoon, as you point out. Uh, that's uh, when a lot of people get off from work. That's true. <laughs> another that's uh, another one phrase that you uh, use that you pointed out is. Do we have any calls, by the way? Okay. Okay. Okay, well, that's great that we uh, we have one of our guests back because uh, it's, uh, I don't know, I was missing Ross. But a reminder, uh, if you, uh, I'm talking to our listeners now, if you have any examples of words that have come into use specifically relating to the pandemic and reopening, or if you just have any kind of language question for Kathy and Ross, you can give us a call at 212-209-2877. Welcome back, Ross. Well, thanks for being Welcome, too. I'm glad. I have no idea what you guys were talking about. I was frantically going through my computer. So yeah. if I repeat things, bear with me. That's okay. Now, we're, we're right now we're talking about flapdoodle words. Oh. So we talked about... So we talked about 3 a.m. in the morning, and the next one that I wanted to uh, address is depreciate in value, because the word depreciate by itself means a decrease in value, doesn't it? Completely. The only thing with that one um, is, I've got to admit, we had an example of that from a Yahoo Finance article that said how your car starts to depreciate in value the minute you drive it off the lot. And there is the possibility that by adding the in value, Mm. you hammer it home to someone who might be not completely familiar with the term depreciate or might have a vague idea of what it means. Or it might mean that the car is not going to be as good down the line, not necessarily its value. Yeah. So in fairness, I think some of these flap doodles, I think, are kind of like, depending on the context, you could get away with it. But what we're saying is on the whole, just avoid, try to avoid them. You know, just try to try to clean it up a little. Don't don't be don't be repetitive. Another one is general consensus. Uh, you, the consensus means general there, doesn't it? Exactly. exactly. And again, we go to the same idea, though, sometimes maybe. There are a bunch of consensuses, and then you've got the general consensus. So in a way, a lot of these you can sort of squeak by. I, we don't personally like them, but some you can squeak by with. That's one that some, I think Merriam-Webster listed, you know, is completely acceptable. Everyone's using it. So, you know, maybe just let it go. Although, then some people say, they, they make it triply redundant and say, general consensus is opinion. So then you, I think you really <laughs> are. <laughs> that I say no. <laughs> yeah. 
But we don't want to make fun of former presidents. Um, <laughs> don't. What <we>? about? <laughs> What about eliminate completely and eliminate entirely? Doesn't the word eliminate assume that it's complete and entire? Completely. <laughs> no need for so, it. So we should eliminate that phrase completely? I well, we can't eliminate it partially, it so yes. <laughs> and for some reason, dentistry uses eliminate completely frequently. In de- mm. and articles on eliminating completely periodontal disease or bacteria, you frequent, frequently see eliminate completely. I guess, I don't know why, but that's there. Well, I guess they don't want you to think that you're partially eliminating the bacteria. Precisely. It's total. It's total, but again, eliminate means totally get rid of, so you don't yes. really need it. But they think they do. And then another one is favorable approval because approval means a favorable outcome doesn't it yeah because if it's if something's not favorable you're disapproving it you're not unfavorably approving it although see now this is where english gets a little you know sticky now right when i said that couldn't you be grudgingly if you can grudgingly approve of something right yeah. grudgingly yeah. approve. So then you could argue that that's like you're unfavorably approving of it. So then could we take it to favorable approval? I what do you guys think? I don't think so. <laughs> Actually, now that I've said it. <laughs> pushing it. Because you're still giving approval. It's still favorable. It's not, wow, amazingly favorable. It's favorable. So I still think you're wrong on that one. Yeah, I think you're right that I'm wrong. Okay, well, we have some calls coming in. Let's take a call. BAI, you're on the air. Hi, uh, I'm calling about the definition of bi-monthly. About, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Bi-monthly, did he say? Twice a month or every two months? Okay. Bi-monthly technically can mean either, bi means two or twice. So Mm bi-monthly can be um, every uh, two months or twice a month. However, it's, it's very confusing. That's why I would suggest saying every two months or twice a month. Uh-huh. When my boss asks me to write a bi-monthly, I don't know whether it's every two weeks or every two months. <laughs> yeah, do you complain or not? <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> I don't know. Why don't, why don't they call every two weeks bi-monthly? <laughs> Good question. Thanks. But, but we're not going to clear that one up, are we? <laughs> No, <laughs> it's always confusing. Uh, let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Hi. Um, I, I, I guess I wanted to go back to the COVID stuff because I go heard ahead. somebody say most recently on the news, and I think they meant either epidemic or something like that, because in the old days, we well, the old days, the 15 months ago version of COVID, you sort of heard the word endemic a lot, but this person used the word endemic, which I don't think was correct, right? No. No. I mean, no, you're right. You're right. He was wrong. It's a characteristic of or something like that, right? Endemic means something that belongs to a particular people or country it's with right characteristically or whatever precisely yeah. you're right you're completely correct 
You can say, though, that a disease is endemic to a country. So, I mean, you could have a disease that way, but you could say an epidemic is endemic, (laughs) couldn't you? Yeah, you could. But they're not interchangeable by any means. But only if it was limited to one country, right? Epidemic? No, no. Something, if a disease is endemic. A disease is endemic. Anything can be endemic. Hmm. It's endemic. It's belonging within a particular people or country or place, continent. Something can be endemic within a, a group of people or, or a continent even. Hmm. But pandemic or epidemic is an epidemic that spread. Epidemic is a disease that affects a large number of people. And as Kathy said, an epidemic can be endemic to Africa and uh, Europe. Right. Well, okay. Thank okay, you. Okay, I got you. I got you on that. And I just wanted to leave you with one parting thought because you were using the the herd word, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, I think I heard him say this, but Trump. In one of his, uh, we'll call it a rant or something like that, that he was, he was saying that he wanted everybody to reach herd mentality. Yes. <laughs> and I, I thought that was cute. Well, considering the fact that there. I want a T-shirt. I need a T-shirt that says "Achieved a... Herd Herd." What was that herd uh, mentality? Herd mentality. Yeah, herd mentality. Is it, it yeah. does, doesn't MAGA mean herd herd mentality? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I oh love well. It. We uh, <laughs> okay, you're listening enough for the foibles, right? <laughs> okay. You're listening to you, Let guys. It Blow Pit at Large on WBAI New York ninety nine point five FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. I say either, you say neither, and I say neither, either, either, and either, neither. Let's call the whole thing off. Yes, you like potato, and I like potato. You like tomato, and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. But oh. Well, I don't want to call the whole thing off. I want to continue my conversation with Kathy and Ross Petrus, whose books, Awkward Moments, a, a lively guide to the 100 terms smart people should know. Uh, also, that doesn't mean what you think it means, and you're saying it wrong, are published by 10 Speed Press. And uh, we are taking your calls at 212-209-2877. Should we take another call? Because Absolutely. I also want to talk... Because I also want to address another thing, a favorite topic, blip over words. But okay, let's take a call first. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. A Hi. magazine that comes out. Of, hello? Yes, you're Can here. You hear me, right? Perfect. Every two weeks, a magazine comes out fortnightly. I love the or word. Bi weekly. Why don't they use it? Huh? Every like two weeks, fortnightly. fortnightly. That's a good word. I like fortnightly, word too. Un- underused. And, uh, oh, here, here's another one. Uh, Wait, don't they call it bi-weekly usually? Well, then, uh, I guess that's good, too. But I yeah. love the word Fortnite. I, uh-huh. When Ross was gone, I was going to call and say, Leonard, thank goodness you've only been hit by a single whammy. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? Right, if Kathy was gone, you'd be a double whammy. Then that would be yes. a problem. Yes. <laughs> So, 
So, oh, and here, here's my favorite redundancy. When people say, that's a figment of the imagination. Well, yes. since figment means imaginary, <laughs> all figments are of the imagination. The only way that phrase is useful if you say, if you say oh, that's a figment of your imagination. Yeah, but you know, how else would you say that? How else would you? You can't say, oh, that's just a figment. That sounds, you can get used to it. I, that that's would sound weird. Say, don't say figment of the imagination. Say, that's just a figment of your imagination. Your imagination. Or that's, that was just a figment of my imagination. Okay. That's the only useful way of it. And by the way, I don't like data. People say data are and media are. It's simply wrong. They are singular. And forget about what the, that it's, well, it goes, it has Greek roots. It's not a Greek word. It's been long taken on. It's a singular noun. I made this point years ago to you, Leonard. Remember, I made the point. And I didn't agree, and I still don't. <laughs> yes, you, did. Uh -oh, you did agree. You were with uh, uh, Patricia T. O'Connor at the time. And oh, I made wow. the point. I said, different you would time, say different life. The, press, the press is corrupt. The media is corrupt. It's, it's the same thing. I don't like as it. As used in English. <laughs> is, is. I still say the it. press are corrupt. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, actually, I wouldn't say that some of the press are corrupt, some but that's press. a whole other matter. Anyway, because, uh, well, because by saying it, you're uh, to me, it seems that you're making them all the same thing if you say it as a singular. And they're not. The media are newspapers. They are broadcasters. They are, well, whatever, you know, magazines, you name it, podcasts. So you can't talk about them that, in singular. On that note, though, it's interesting because thing. when you're in Europe, I noticed in England, for example, if you're watching soccer or football, they would call it. The English will say, like, a team. They will go Manchester. The, the Manchester team will go, man, you are doing this. Yes. We would say, the. Uh, oh, wait, we do the same thing. The team yeah, the Yankees are. What? The Yankees are? Yeah, we said the Yankees are doing this. We don't say the Yankees is doing this. Yeah, you're right. We do. Forget it. I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, but you are, saying Manchester, you are saying Manchester United is winning this game. You yeah, don't say they are the winning this game. The British would. They, they yeah, do say they do. the team they, are. They do do and the British are even worse. It's interesting. What I'm saying. Well, sometimes, though. I'm On the other hand, you would say the Mets are winning this game. Yeah. You know, it's so confusing. Yeah. Thank you for your call. The United States is, not are. No. You're right. The United Let's... States is, singular. Yes. yes. Uh, I want to address another uh, one of your favorite topics, blip-over words. What are they? Blip-over words are the words that people use. Uh, we're, we're among them, that, but they're words that, that give you pause, that you might not be completely sure what they mean, but you use them or read them. And Ross is the one who coined it as a blip over because you'll read the word uh -huh. and you sort of blip over it and go to the next word and just don't worry about it anymore. But a lot of us use them without being aware of what, they, what we're actually saying. So one of the words you talk about is syntax, which we hear all the time. It's a grammatical term. But how many people really know what it means? Uh, uh, some might even think it has little to do with word usage and um, paying for committing a sin. 
<laughs> oh, groan. No. And if anyone deserves fifth syntax, it's you right then for that pun. <laughs> well, am I taxing your imagination? Right now? <laughs> Call me a taxi. Um, yeah, syntax is something everybody goes, oh, it's something to do with language, and that's about it. But Technically, what it is, it's the collection of rules and guiding principles in a language that tells you how to arrange the words, phrases, and clauses to create sentences. That's like the official definition of syntax. And then there's your personal syntax, which is how you put together words and phrases. And then there's computer syntax, which we don't care about, which is how programs run. So it's, it's, it's the rules that allow us to communicate, what makes things understandable. Another common word, apocryphal. A lot of people are not sure of what that means, and I'm, I'm assuming it comes from the Greek, doesn't it? It comes from the Latin, uh, yeah, from the Greek from the apocryphos, hidden. When then it came from yeah. directly from the Latin apocrypha scripta, the the books yeah, that were hidden. It's originally a Greek word. Yeah, spurious, of doubtful authenticity, and then it's used mm. in the Old Testament, the apocryphal books of the Old Testament which are books that are they're not sure true uh, to the religion or whatever. Eponymous is another the, word. The problem I with Apocryphal is people eponymous. started using it to mean apocalyptic lately, which is weird. Yeah. Like, like they use it, they'll say it was an apocryphal moment, like aha, Ooh. like this was a big moment, but yeah, it that's shed a light on it, and it's the opposite. Eponymous, like uh, you, you said you don't like that word, Ross. Uh, the but really does it refer to a title? It's always misused, and I always get confused how to use it. Eponymous means relating to the person or thing for whom something or which something is named. Now, Kathy will go through a long go through your tirade on eponymous, Kathy. I hate eponymous drives me insane. The, we have a sample sentence here: is his first record, the eponymous Bob Dylan, was filled with original songs, but. Mm. The eponym is something that gives its name to something else. So you use eponymous to describe the person who gave the name to something, not the thing that got the name. So you would uh, say his first record, Bob Dylan, named after the eponymous musician. But it sounds so wrong to me. It just sounds yeah. very wrong. The right way sounds wrong. <laughs> I, I think that we should avoid it. I, I just don't think we should. Use, I think we should avoid eponymous as much as possible. <laughs> well, should we uh, invite some more listener calls? Yes. If they agree with me on okay. eponymous, yes. <laughs> uh, again, okay, if you um, want to talk about, oh, not yet. Okay, well, if listeners want to talk about flapdoodle words or blip over words or whatever, or have any other kind of question for Kathy and Ross, again, the number is 212-209-2877. What about postmodern didn't it come from the art world and then spread to general usage yeah it, it entered the language in the 20th century and it was first just used as a time reference the after the modern era but in terms of what we use more often it was definitely an art word and, and it hit its stride in the 70s and it was it just meant a move away from tradition you borrowed from pop culture high and low art mixed you, you threw aesthetic theory out of the window. It was like a sort of an anarchic art movement. But the and then it's moved it is, into philosophy. The original philosophical base is skepticism. Everything is relative or subjective. Reason is dangerous. So basically, 
you're getting to something that's so mushy that almost anything now can be postmodernism. Which makes I was thinking of it as really meaning avant-garde, no? Opinion. It's sort of avant-garde, but avant-garde without any rules. I mean, it, it, it's being used now mainly in that sense. But I mean, we found what my favorite thing was that uh, we found an article that described the Patriots, the New England Patriots logo as a postmodern graphic representation of My Little mm-hmm. Pony. And I don't know mm-hmm. what that means. I really don't. Yeah. And now and, and it's well, post, postmodernism, which but I have no idea what that means. And oh, post postmodernism is is sort of um, is back to more rules applied to art, more tradition back in. But I don't think mm-hmm. it's been called popomo yet, and I want it to be. Yeah, I like that too. Okay, well, uh, we're going to take some more calls because a bunch of people have called in. My guests are Catherine and Russ Petrus. And uh, you're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. BAI, you're on the air. Hi. Um, yes, um, um, as far as syntax was concerned, I always thought that the difference uh, in, like, our modern English tongue and Shakespeare is the difference in syntax, right? Um, partly. It's also partly. It's also uh, pronunciation. And it also is vocabulary as well. But you're right; a lot of it, a lot of differences are also syntactical. But there are a lot of other oh. differences as well. Language changes almost in all aspects over the years. Yeah, uh, um, I also have um, <laughs> a big problem with the way that people use uh, due diligence. <laughs> hmm. That's an interesting one because yeah, diligence is enough. More and more. Yeah, well, what do you think? What do you think due diligence does that diligence doesn't do? Me? Yeah. Or do you think it doesn't um, do anything? I, yeah, I think it's repetitive. It sounds uh, mm-hmm. redundant. Uh, or um, you can be diligent. Or mm-hmm. uh, uh, well, adding the word "do" just it's, it's just extra. Yeah. I think that's an interesting. Point. I mean, obviously, it's it's chiefly a law term initially. And, you know, meaning like you're taking a, appropriate care to, to avoid committing an offense, for example. And then it's spread it into thorough. business. And I think it is. I agree with you, actually. I think it's very puffy. And I think people are using it because it sounds very important and serious. And I think that in general conversation, you really don't need the two. I agree with you. I actually I, do. I actually disagree slightly. Diligence means carefulness. But the do part of it is talking about it's required carefulness. So in that sense, I think legally in particular, you're saying, I don't want you to be diligent. I, I don't not only want you to be diligent, I'm requiring you to be diligent. Oh, but see, Ross, I, no, I agree with you. But that I agree like with you about law, but I'm else. saying in regular conversation when people say I'm I'm doing due diligence and it's something about like cleaning yeah. their house or something. Yeah, I think that's stupid. Right. I agree with you guys on that. Yeah. No way. I agree. There, I'm not going to legally require you to do something when I'm just chatting <laughs> with you about know, mm. cleaning up. You should have done anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. You see, the language is so complicated that we don't always agree completely on the implications. <laughs> and I think that's great, too. Thank you so much for your call. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hi, good afternoon. I agree with that man about due diligence. <laughs> I think, and, and like Cassie said, I think that it probably had its origins in uh, legal economic speak, maybe like for fiduciaries or something like that. And uh, and if you read the fine print on various documents, you know there's lots of 
double speak and unnecessary use mm. of words. But oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let's see. I have a couple of things uh, as far as pandemic language, which is so much of it is just ludicrous. Uh, we've got the frequent, frequent misuse of regime, regimen, and even the occasional regiment stuck in there when they're talking about... <laughs> I like regiments. Wow. <laughs> and I've, that's not new misuse, but, oh boy, it's very widespread these days, and that makes me insane. <laughs> I don't know why why people don't... How come people don't know to look up a word if you don't know the word meaning? Why don't you just look yeah. it up? <laughs> they don't do that anymore. <laughs> People don't do and that it's anymore. so easy nowadays. In the past, you had to go to the dictionary. Right. And now all you have to right. do is go to Google. Yeah. Or else, I, I wonder really if it's the people think, oh, I'll just use it and, and they'll either know what I mean or screw them. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> they'll know what I mean. <laughs> people, I don't understand that at all. The other one that's been bugging me for years, but it's also super frequent, uh, people using incredible and incredibly... Mm. Uh, to say something is uh, extremely or tremendous or tremendously yeah. or very weird. If it's incredibly, then I, I'm not going to believe you unless you give me a lot of evidence. <laughs> <laughs> give me a good explanation and maybe I'll believe it. But everything is suddenly incredibly difficult or incredibly uh -huh. beautiful or incredibly uh, unimaginable. <laughs> and, it's funny, uh, though, I just, what you're explaining mm -hmm. Is, is a word changing meaning in action. Because yes. now, I mean, the dictionary lists as one of the definitions, like incredible is something uh, extraordinary or difficult to believe yeah. or something. Yeah. But I must admit, I commit like that we, crime Ross myself. and I were recording a podcast just yesterday, and we're talking about words that started changing. And one that came up was terrify, which we oh. use. Wait, was it terrify, Ross? It was terrific. 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 That was it. Yeah. Which means full of terror. Or causing yeah. terror. But when you, I saw a terrific film. You don't think you saw a horror film. You think you saw a great film. Terrific has right. changed its meaning from the original sort of connotation of terror. A new you definition know, it's funny. is great. Yeah. Mm, it's funny you cite that example because I have caught myself using terrific in just that original sense, to me, original sense. And uh. I have back, 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 delete. I uh, deleted it because I think, oh, my audience, whoever I'm writing to, does not no. under grasp that meaning. They would exactly. consider it horrific, so, wouldn't they? Uh, uh, they would. <laughs> they would consider it horrific. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I don't know. Originally, years, some years ago, I thought, well, people don't read anymore, so they don't know how to use language. But then mm. I realized everyone's reading on a screen all the time, but so much of the writing is so dreadful, <laughs> so inferior yeah. that, of course, you can't learn language from it, or the language you're learning from it is not uh, the real language the way we knew it if we were older. Mm -hmm. And then there's mm -hmm. spell check. I, I'm, sometimes oh. I don't read back what I've typed, and I realize that my phone has corrected me, right. and I've oh. said something really silly. Mm -hmm. oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, they I, think I'm too be... stupid. Yeah. Could you go over again quickly what, what you said? Are these blip over words? I missed that. A blip over words is a word, a term Ross coined to be those words yeah. that like you kind of know or you see a lot and you might use, 
wrongly or rightly, but you're not quite sure what they really mean. And you, or you read them in an article, and as Ross said, you blip over them. One, oh. one what we ran across was solacism, which I, I and solipsism, oh. <laughs> ironic and fungible. Fungible is yeah. another one. Kind of know and kind of don't know. And then we have <laughs> NFTs, non-fungible tokens. You know, it also goes to even things we, we kind of like talk knowledgeably about things we have no idea about. I was talking yesterday, I got the Moderna shot, or I got the Pfizer shot, the mRNA shot. And yeah. I was talking to someone saying, oh, that's the better shot than the AstraZeneca shot or something. <laughs> and then I, why is mRNA, mRNA better? And I have no idea. I right. and what do you know about, about it? mRNA vaccines. And I really, I know they're riboflavin, whatever, vaccine, but I have really no idea what it means at all. <laughs> you? I, mean, we, I want to try to sneak another call in. RNA. Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for calling. We, uh, I think we have time to sneak one more call in. Hi, BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> hi, my name is John. Yes, John. Yeah, um... Yeah, I have a question, not about anything that y'all have been talking about, but I have a question. That's okay. If it's about language, we want to hear it. But could you make yeah. it quick? I'm sorry? Can you make it quick? Because we have just about two minutes. Yeah, absolutely. So, a confusing word to me is bridal and bride. And the whole concept that, okay, the two words, are spelled differently, but they're kind of homonyms as, at, at the same time. Um, why do we call bridal paths bridal paths and call brides brides? We'll have a bridal okay. ceremony. Bridal? Now I'm looking this up because I do not know this off the top of my head. Do you, Ross? <laughs> Help me. I mean, a bridal is, are you talking about the bridal for like a horse? Yes, a bridal path. So, like a bridal path. Yeah, bridal path is a is a path uh, where you're going to have horses going on. Exactly. So that would be so the bridle would be uh, B R I D L E. Right. It's right, and it comes from the old English, meaning to pull or twitch, because it was so you mm -hmm. put you pulled this on a horse and that that directed them. Okay. Oh, so now bridal. ride. Now I'm realizing that bride is a sexist word. It is. Because you're it pulling is. on my it. My wife, <laughs> I love my wife dearly. Right? But, you know. Okay, bride came I, from I a different, like the word bride, bride, though, came from a different source. Yeah, it's a different I'm word. I'm not sure where it came from. <laughs> well, they think you love your wife, but oh, you kid, what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's strange, don't you think? Yeah. It is interesting. But well, there the are a lot of words from a different source. It does not have to do with the pulling on the so we don't have to worry about about offending anyone. It's not, no problem. I have are you uh, sure? I <laughs> Yes. Thanks for your call. Uh I uh, before you go, I have been thinking about all of the words, the homophones that we have in the English language and it's just stunning. Uh, everything is obviously we understand in context, but it's amazing how many words sound exactly alike, often are spelled exactly alike, and mean totally different things. Thanks. Yeah. You sit on a bench and you bench press, for example. <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, I want to thank you so much. As always, it's been tons of fun. Uh, I've been speaking with Kathy and Ross Petrus, whose books, Awkward, spelled A-W-K-W-O-R-D, Moments, A Lively Guide to the 100 Terms That Smart People Should Know, is uh, published by the same publisher that publishes there are other books that doesn't mean what you think it means, and also you're saying it wrong. It's all published by 10 Speed Press. And they also have a podcast called You're Saying It Wrong. And how do people get that? They can access it on all of the, the various podcast systems? Yes, they can. It's on all of them. It's on Apple. It's on Google. It's on Spotify, I think. It's on Stitch. It's all over the place. <laughs> okay. Well, Thank you again, and I look forward to the next time you're on the show. Beautiful. Thanks so much, as always. And uh, that brings us to the end of our show. Special thanks to producer Barbara Kahn for preparing today's segment. You can access our archive of over 500 shows at WBAI.org. We're also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. And there are links to all of our past shows at LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. If you'd like to write to me, my email address is leonardlopate at wbai.org. Before I sign off, I need to ask you to consider supporting WBAI to keep the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. We are asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to please make a contribution at whatever level you're comfortable with by going online to give to wbai.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now. That's 212-209-2950. We need your help to keep bringing you this unique in-depth content because WBAI relies 100% on listener donations. And that's often a problem during the summer months when fewer listeners become members, but it has become particularly critical this year because of the pandemic. So if you tune in regularly to Leonard Lopez at Large, why not let us know that you appreciate what we do on this show by coming through for us during these difficult times, by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 to, to play your part in keeping this historic station, the only one in the New York radio dial that's completely listener-sponsored, alive and thriving with your tax-deductible charitable contribu contribution. My great thanks to everyone who's already stepped up to support the station in the name of London Lopate at Large, and I hope you can join us again for tomorrow's show when investigative journalist and regular contributor to our show, Bob Henley, will discuss his new book called Stuck Nation, Can the United States Change Course on Our History of Choosing Profits Over People? We'll see you then. <laughs>